First, I'd like to welcome everyone. If you are new, perhaps invited by a friend, it is great to have you along. It is my privilege to be able to share my thoughts. My prayer is that we all might take the time to dig a little bit deeper. Please have the bread and the fruit of the vine available for the communion at the end. In this session, I want to share what I have been learning about the prophet Jonah. Let me share my screen. Share screen too. And share. So, if I were able to provide a title for my sharing, I believe I could sum it up with what Jonah had to say to God's people. Let us pray. Father God Almighty, thank you for this opportunity to share my thoughts. I pray that you would be with me, calm my, my nerves, that uh, your words flow through me. Um, and really, uh, I know that it won't return. Your words don't return without um, touching people's hearts. I pray this all for your son, Jesus' name. Amen. I've always found it beneficial to provide a little bit of a historical context, a chance to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. So please bear with me for the next few minutes while I share some pictures. I will help puzzle it all together next. Although I could not discover when Jonah was born or died, he was born in the 8th century BC and passed in the next. Jonah was the son of Amittai, hailed from the small village of Gath-Hefer, which is in the northern kingdom of Israel. It is said that you can actually find his tomb to, be to this very day, in a mountain just outside his home village. Now, all indications see that Jonah has, had been living or was raised during the reign of four Neo-Assyrian kings and the tyranny that this entailed. Perhaps he grew up during the reign of Adad-Nirari III. Adad-Nirari III led several military campaigns in order to extend the Assyrian power that uh, had long been the Assyrians' uh, um, forte, as his grandfather had led, Shalemizah III. He, he is the one that entered Damascus and forced tribute upon its Aramean king, Ben-Hanad III. With all this occurring from the enemy front, Jonah then has to contend with the realization of the truth relating to the prophecies regarding the Israelite kings, warned against by Samuel, as seen in 1 Samuel 8, 10 verses 2 to 18. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. 
He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Although we have all come to know Jonah as described among the books of the minor prophets with his namesake, as the prophet that was sent to preach to the Neo-Syrian capital city of Nineveh, Jonah was also a prophet for the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II, king of Israel, around 782 to 753 BC. And of course, at that time, Jeroboam was um, marked as being successful and having campaigns against the Assyrians and pushing them back and gaining a lot of the lost land. So whilst the Neo-Assyrian kings were tyrannical and ruthless, the kings of Israel were paranoid and even ruthlessly put their own people to work in defense of these times, not turning to God, but to many gods. It is amidst all this that Jonah is called. You know, I recently got to view the second in the Equalizer movie series starring Denzel Washington. I like those types of movies. These kind of action movies where justice is served. They always have those funky and punchy titles as well. The Equalizer, The Expendables, The Punisher. And of course, don't forget for the kids, The Incredibles. You get to see a wrong being put right and justice being served. In these movies, no one wants to, be, no one wants to see a drug lord who kidnapped a poor soul get away with it. Holding that person in some dank basement with the victim always having dirt smeared on their tear-stricken faces, no food to eat, their clothes torn, some cut or wound somewhere, and of course, don't forget, no shoes. We are all pulled into the injustice of the situation, right? Now, although Jonah's fellow Israelites may not have been as innocent as one would believe, the Assyrians were known as a ruthless, conquering, and fearless warrior nation. So why did Jonah run? I got to watch a story of Jonah from a Jewish perspective provided by Rabbi David Foreman at the Alpha Beta site. The book of Jonah is read each year at Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement. It is holiest day for the year, of the year for the, in Judaism, and it centers on themes that are around atonement and repentance. If you get the time, take the opportunity to check it out. After all, Paul claims in the book of Romans, chapter 11, we as Gentiles were grafted into the olive root, that being Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are simply Jews under the new covenant provided by Jesus. Now, I'm not going to be dealing with the path of flight that Jonah decided to take at the first. Only to say that I too would have done the same thing were I in his shoes. So instead today, I've just got two points. Point number one, compassion. I'd venture to guess and say, probably the most difficult part about heeding this call from Jesus or from God is compassion. 
Although the message of redemption from God to his people in Israel came through Jonah during the reign of King Jeroboam II, as we read in 2 Kings 14, verses 14 to 27, God was fully aware of the trouble in Israel. It's bitterly hard times. No one was exempt, whether slave or citizen, and no hope of help anywhere was in sight. But God wasn't yet ready to bolt out the name or blot out the name of Israel from history. So he used Jeroboam, son of Joash, to save them. We have no indication as to whether these Jewish victories led by Jeroboam II occurred before, during, or after the event where the book of Jonah, we read of the account of him going to preach the city of Nineveh. But of one thing I am sure, Jonah's image of the Assyrians was not made of fond memories. Rabbi David Foreman actually uses a quite a clever analogy. Imagine that someone you love is taken from you by a mass murderer. Although catching the man and bringing him to a court of law, months pass by and the trial drags on. The judge finally brings you and your family into his chambers. And he leads with the following speech. Look, this ordeal has dragged on long enough. The accused has been the victim of a media fiasco. He and his lawyers have approached the bench with a good deal. Let the man come to your house. We'll all sit around the table and with a drink. He will apologize sincerely. And we can all be done with this issue. Now... <laughs> I'm unsure how each individual would react to this plea bargaining or even face having to live with such a verdict. Perhaps as a Christian, one might find solace within the words we read in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will replay, says the Lord. Perhaps as Christians, one might find that solace. But what if the verdict was passed down from God himself? That there cannot be peace you seek. The verdict is final. You know, then it comes crashing down. Where would your sense of justice lie? One could say that Jonah was faced with this very dilemma. Jonah reluctantly did what he was told to do, but he was upset that forgiveness would be the order of the day. As indicated in the historical account, we picture an oppressive and cruel Assyrian nation inflicting their oppressive and racist prejudice against the Jewish people. Jonah then preaches to those uh, people of Nineveh, hoping that perhaps God will come to his senses and dish out the justice that Jonah believed the cruelest of nations deserved. Instead, he stomps out of town, sets up his little shelter on a nearby hill, and he wants to die. So God causes a plant to grow over Jonah, to bring more shade. At least now, Jonah would know what, that God himself cared for him and wanted to provide for him. This is all demonstrated 
in this shade that God has provided. Perhaps the next day God would cause the destruction of his enemies. Instead, what's in store for Jonah the next morning is the destruction of the plant. And this, by a worm that God sent. I can imagine that this again is, is enough for Jonah to drive him to the edge. And here, yet again, he desires death. But God's subtle message is clear. The plant was born of unnatural circumstances. One could argue that its existence was not right, unnatural, and in fact, it had no place amongst its surroundings. So the worm would represent justice. The worm in its desire to bring about this justice could not see the plant's purpose or its potential. Jonah could realize the plant's potential and realize its purpose. And as such, he develops a compassion on this plant. In his thinking, yes, sure, it shouldn't be there, but, but surely an exemption can be made. Although Jonah is, Jonah is not the creator of the plant, he has compassion. Surely the creator of all things has compassion for his creation. Jonah now realizes in a world of this justice, sorry doesn't take away past crime. So where then does the power in repentance lie? It lies in the ability to change the future. It relies in the compassion of those that have been wronged. God has created all things. Who are we to question God's love, compassion, grace, and ability to seek the potential in all mankind? Look, I, I realize that today, one can come to represent any one of these characters that lie within the book of Jonah. At times, I find that I am Jonah, whether in pre-flight, post-flight, angry at God, hoping for justice, but in other times and other moments, I am that Ninevite, either pre or post repentance, desiring compassion. Oh, I, I believe that I don't have a racist bone in my body, yet, as I've never been subjected to a widespread prejudicial system, I fall short in recognizing and fully empathizing with those whom have been victims of that very system. Just as much as can be said of my lack of understanding and empathy for the differences seen in the struggles facing the people of Southern Ireland versus their Northern countrymen, or why I catch myself driving past a Trevor community that's in a field, and immediately my thoughts turn to judgment and justice. The fact is, I need to grow in my understanding and empathy for the differences seen in humanity in general. What Christ has done and what Christianity has come to represent in my life, well, th this is the continual platform to grow in these aspirations to reach across all cultures, backgrounds, and gender. To reach further, seeking equality and recognizing the potential in anyone 
and even more difficult, I would, I would wager, is to wrestle with the concept that potentially I need to find this potential in those who may portray hatred toward me. Now, I can vouch that this is incredibly difficult. Yet, it's what Jesus did. And as his disciples, and me being or claiming to be a disciple of his, it's a calling for me. How does Jonah's discovery of compassion speak to you? In Galatians 3, verse 28, it reads, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All meaning everyone. As a Christian, how do you interpret this verse? How does it unfold in your life? Truly, we are in unique and special uh, times, but also we, within God's love, His compassion, he, he brings us together in His body, the church. Here, we can be safe. Here, we can safely share our thoughts, our minds, our ideas. So we may heal the hurt and inspire each other towards love. Point number two. Heed the call. So Johnny eventually did as he was asked, right? And although he may not have originally understood God's purpose, he came to realize God's immense propensity to bestow compassion. And he recognizes that God loves uh, the humanities and he loves the potential that we have. Well, this is one big sigh of relief for me. To know that despite myself and the ill I can and have caused, God has compassion for me. He recognizes my potential and a place in his story for my life. So what now? What does it mean to be a part of his story? In Matthew 9 uh, verses 35 to 38 it reads, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, excuse me, to send out workers into his harvest field. There are a few things that stick out to me in this scripture. Teaching is not, or it, it, teaching is not in the front. It's from the front lines. I find myself leading a very messy life. Although I do believe that God leads us through these life experiences so that we can share in these lessons that we learn, having come through the other side a little bit of a, a, a wiser. Certainly within the COVID-19 environment, we have not been able to be as hospitable and as open with our lives as we'd like. And to be fair, I, I really need to grow in this area post the pandemic. Teaching doesn't mean having 
to be uniquely qualified in knowing more than other people. For me, it means to be open with sharing victories attained through the, applying the Gospels in our lives with those desperately seeking solutions to their situations. I find it amazing, actually. Either God always seems to drive those who have similar issues, as I do, into my path so that we may share the experiences, or ironically, I have had it wrong all along, and we all suffer, uh, simply suffer from the same issues and are meant to be open in getting the help that we actually need. Preaching is not telling, it's sharing. Have you ever felt like uh, someone was telling you that you had it all wrong and you needed to come to them as they knew better? How motivated were you to go to that person to hear what they had to say? I, you know, I, I believe I need to be a little bit more humble. I need to remember where I came from. And I've got to be, be prepared to answer and share the love of Christ. This is meant to be inspiring, right? God adds to his kingdom. He added to the number of those being saved in Acts 2. We're here as his vessels. Remember, Jesus gave us all free will. I, I would have taken that as to mean it is not anyone's place to take that free will away from them. If you get the chance, read 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's, it's great in that respect as well. Healing is deeper than the physical. Upon reflection, I believe that every one of us has some form of hurt in our lives, some form of pain. Some pain manifests itself in physical and some in the mental, but I believe all have experienced some form of emotional hurt. And the scripture says, Jesus saw this in the crowds, the masses, and he had compassion. There are many who are yearning to receive all the above. So to sum up, just before sharing my thoughts on the communion, Jonah had a message for God's people. Sharing God's good news for his people doesn't simply mean sharing God's love, but living compassionately. And in recognizing that need, heed the call. Share your life and love with others. So in closing, let's just read Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41. Since then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Now here Jesus reflects upon the sign of Jonah. Although many um, focus on the comparative of the three days Jesus was, was supposed to be spending in the tomb, perhaps he was also calling us out, all of us, as being a Jonah. 
that we need to take closer look at the lesson of compassion and love that Jonah underwent. I'd like to believe that it's a reminder of Jesus' ultimate display of compassion and love as he died for all of us. Jesus realizes my potential. He realizes your potential. Let's together realize the potential of others. Let us pray. Father God Almighty, we just um, before we take your, your, your bread that represents your body and the vine, the, water, the, the wine that uh, represents your blood that you, you, you spilled for us, God. We just want to come before you and, and say thank you so much for recognizing the potential in each of us. I know that the, the line of, of sin isn't across the highway, that the guys on this side of the highway are cool and good and the guys on the other side of the highway are evil. The line is directly through my body, God. I have evil in me as well as good. I just pray that you will help me in those daily battles, in those daily struggles to do what is righteous, to bring you the glory, Father, to be an ambassador for your son Jesus on this planet. I pray, God, that we remember as we take the communion that your son Jesus really went to the cross, even if we decide not to take what he did on offer for us, for, you know, as a way to to salvation. He did it freely, willingly, even if we didn't make that choice. And God, I pray that each one of us today just reflect on Jonah and what he did. And when, when he went through the Ninevites, whether he wanted to or not, God, he realized afterwards he was able to recognize your compassion. I pray that we find the potential in others, that we can let go of hurt. We can honestly and earnestly seek love in the communities around us and in each other. Build, help, mend. I pray this all through your son Jesus Christ's name. Thank you very much for your time.